the golden rule is always to treat people the way you want to be treated. If organizations treat people the way they want to be treated and consider, a part of that is considering them the way they show up, that we will be better as organizations if we do that. Welcome to the Workplace Theater Podcast, where we explore the joy, the pain, the comedy, and human connections that make up the world of work culture. In this episode, our guest Shelley McAdoo explores the future of diversity in the workplace and underutilized metrics to consider. Our hosts, Chris, Michelle, Joe, and Julius, share their insights and experiences while offering practical advice on navigating workplace culture. So sit back, grab your popcorn, and let's dive into the fascinating world of workplace theater. Welcome to the Workplace Theater Podcast. Here we are today again. How are you guys doing? I'm really good. Doing great. Good. We got a special guest today. Special. Shelly McAdoo. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're um, so we're gonna hop right into things. Uh, the way we usually start is off with like a headline, and uh, Michelle kind of kicks us off. So, Michelle, what do you have for us today? Yeah, I have a headline that sometimes we have it related to our topic. Sometimes it's just generally interesting. And I found something that I found interesting that was a, a study recently released by Oxford University about the something that we all kind of sense, but they actually put like numbers behind it, how well-being at work is hugely advantageous to companies. It makes them more productive, even more financially successful. And that's that was sort of the extra secret sauce in this study that I thought was interesting. So it was kind of cool how they did it. And that was, um, you know, the job search board indeed. Mm -hmm. So um, as an HR person, I'm sure you know that one. Um, they ha collected like millions of people's responses to some surveys they had on indeed about um, that were really geared towards measuring well-being. Mm -hmm. So happiness, um, satisfaction, feeling purpose on the level of stress, and then um, analyzed all that and gave each company a well-being score. And oh, so wow. then they took all the scores and they said, all right, what if we invested in the top 100 well-being scored places? Uh, what if we invested money in these companies? So from March 2021, or January 2021 to March 2023, they saw that those companies, not just in the moment, People were feeling good, and these are successful companies, but over time, um, they were performing better than the SAP, than the NASDAQ, by like 20 and 30%. Wow. So I just thought it was so interesting, because a lot of times people think about when you when you discuss you know, our topic today, DEI, when we talk about the work that... Um, you know, that, that um, this company does focusing on connection and increasing well-being in the workplace, people think it's like an altruistic thing or just trying to be a nice guy and whatever, but there's so much more to it. And I just love when you can take that gut feel that knowledge and put numbers behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, spoken from a true spreadsheet lover. I love <laughs> spreadsheets. Well, so, so what we're saying is investing in well-being makes sense and not s-e-n-c-e-c-e-n-t-s right it's actually there's roi behind it and that's what we've been looking for like yeah. I, I know because of my history that this stuff works yeah right yeah. we've in the past you know, we had stupid things that would happen like people get hurt a lot of back injuries like 
that's you know worked for a big airline handler and and in the cargo division guys are throwing out their backs well mm. how about let's incorporate stretching let's pay for back braces mm -hmm. right instead of paying big time bucks for workers comp and all this other stuff yeah. like let's let's get ahead of it right yeah and yeah and it made a big difference it made it unbelievable to the bottom line like to the tune of millions of dollars across the company. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you would think that something like that as an HR person, maybe trying to advocate for changes with management, you know, and oh, getting sure. pushback, maybe showing some of the monetary impact well, could help. I, you know, actually, I'm not surprised. Um, in the workplace, um, it's increasingly becoming more populated by um Millennials and Gen Zs, mm -hmm. and if you do studies or if you kind of look at kind of the, the 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 culture as it relates to Gen Zs and Millennials, they are driven by social responsibility. They're driven by wellness mm -hmm. and um, organizations that um, lean into um, wellness and things that seem altruistic, but that are more about self preservation mm -hmm. and balance. And um, as we increasingly, as organizations, start to become um, more uh, centered around retention, not just gaining top talent, but retaining top talent. And we're starting to see more Gen Zs and millennials in the workplace. I'm not surprised that we're starting to see a little bit more weight and start seeing it wellness not be this little soft, you know, thing and that metrics are starting to become yes. um, inclusive of wellness. And you think about work-life balance, you think about remote, you know, kind of as the remote workforce, you know, becomes increasingly um, more popular where there's blurred lines. There is something to be said for being able to prioritize wellness. Mm -hmm. And when companies do that and they lean into the things that are not just um, happening between nine to five, but what happens outside of those hours that affect how well you do what you do nine to five, when they start leaning into that, that's when people will start to say, you know what, I like this company. Mm -hmm. This company thinks about me. They think about what, you know, how I'm feeling about my experiences. And I think I'll stay here so you get less turnover, which has a cost, you know, because there is Huge. a turnover cost. Um, so I think it's all connected. I'm not surprised what, 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 by that at all. Yeah, what you said, re recruitment and retention were two of the five things or so that they mentioned in the study that w was, you know, really prominent in the well-being score. So the those young workers that you're talking about, they want to go to a place, just like you said, you know, the, it, it helps with recruiting people in. Even if the pay was lower, yep. they were still seeing that the, that attracted people to the company. And right, that retention and the turnover is so expensive. It really is. You know, it just is. kind of tackling both of us. I think of it as the spirit of the company, right? So I like this study because this basically takes that idea, the concept of what is your spirit? What's the spirit of the company? And it, you know, puts numbers behind it. Yeah. Right? But I think... Uh, you know, all too often what happens is that sounds altruistic, just like you said, yeah. but um, you're forced to be in a position to where you have to wait till something happens, right? And then you can't even become proactive about it. It's like the system is set up so that you can't be become proactive because so many things are being, you know, pulled your, your way so you're more reactive about all these different things. So anytime that you would bring up, uh, hey, well, what about our spirit of the company or improving work culture? It, it's like, oh, yeah, that's great, but we have to deal with this, right? right? Yeah, so right. it's like, when will you like learn yes but this is something that you can now say look and i'm sure there's been there's been 
studies, right? There, there's been studies about diversity. There's been all these different studies. But here is directly the spirit of the company matters. Yep. Exactly. Yes. Millions of data points yep. in this one, which I think is also unusual. And then having a way to measure, actually measure well-being. So like those are kind of the two two kind of standout differences in this study versus others that, that they also cite. Like this isn't new, guys, but this is just a, an expanded way to really nail it that this is not controversial. So, okay, so Shelly, so how would you then, like, uh, you know, you have a ton of experience, you know, uh, and we'll get your context and, you know, your background in a second, but how how would you believe that uh, you could actually introduce something like this? Like how, where it can be impactful, right? Have because focus we- Focus on, on wellness? Yeah, because, yeah, so, because that's the other thing is, when, when uh, you know, how does corporate define wellness as well, mm-hmm. right? Because there's, 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 and I'm not even in corporate. This is so funny. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> so, so I just know there's these like tricks of the trees. Oh, no, we believe in wellness. Absolutely. Right. And so maybe it's these, um, you know, these, uh, these, these items or uh, uh, aspects of wellness that we can push people into if X, Y, Z happens. Right. And we're like, yeah, we totally believe in wellness. Yeah. Right. So. Knowing all that, what's going to be like an impactful way or, you know, to, to, to introduce something like this? I will say metrics matter. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to correlate what is happening internally and what you're providing your employees to a dollar amount or um, the ability to retain to a percentage of year over year, you know, kind of percentages. Metrics matter. And being able to tie the metrics of the benefit of well-being to, um, you know, what if we don't focus on this, um, what could be the, you know, the fallout from that. So I think it's important to say that metrics matter. I also feel like most organizations are driven by being authentic and they want to appear the way that they externally appear or we're the kind of company that wants to be this and we're this and, you know, we're the, the, we have a focus on that. This is our core values. And they say it externally. I think that um, when companies really want to be true to their brand, they want to emulate who they are externally, internally. So the people that are their um, employees, so the people that work there, they want to, if you were to stop them on the street, they want for their employees to say that what that company is saying, who they are externally, that's who they are internally too. Um, So I think um, bringing it to that, to where it makes sense, business sense, um, and again, connecting it to, you know, um, retaining, um, to recruiting, and um, things that help to move the needle for the organization helps. But I also feel like when you bring it back to just overall morale, when people have to spend more time during the day, especially when we're going into the office, it's a little different when, you know, in the remote environment, but when people are going into the office and you're spending more time in this environment than you do with your own families. Um, there are some people, and, and, and the leaders that are, that are the most successful leaders understand that you want to make it as, as positive and as palatable and as sustainable as possible. Um, and just connecting that to just keeping the right people for the right job. And if you give them what they need, then you'll keep them. 
um, I think that that's probably most important to me. The last thing that I'll say is just for um, just retention for just employee experience for employee engagements. There are five hallmarks, and the five hallmarks are to be valued. Us, the person should feel valued. That they feel trusted. Uh, they feel like they can take risks without retribution. Um, they feel like they have latitude um, to kind of incorporate or empower to make changes or to speak up for themselves, and that they can also be authentic. Um, and if they have those five things and the organization can present those five th those five things, then it's a benefit. And you start to see percentages um, uh, increase in, in innovation. You start to see year over year where you have um, more retention than you do turnover. Um, and it is by really leaning into some of that soft stuff, the stuff that we call total rewards. And it's not just, okay, you're going to get paid this, you're going to get this amount of PTO days, but you also have an organization that says, we have flex time. If you have a doctor's appointment, whenever you get here, that's fine. Um, that you have PTO days or allotment of hours that you can do with whatever you want to do with so that your life can still be a part. You know, you don't have to, doesn't have to stop when you're here from nine to five, that we are cognizant that sometimes life doesn't just happen after business hours. I think that all of those things and making sure that people feel comfortable is, is the goal of successful organizations. And if it's not, those that don't do it should do it so that they can be more successful. Okay, so you said that so eloquently. Um, so what's the problem then? Most organizations are not doing it. <laughs> Yes, that, that was actually one of the one of the stats cited was that twenty nine percent, only twenty nine percent of companies actually have a strategy for yep. this. They, they might ha have an intention. I don't think you're going to find a company that says, "Yeah, we don't really care," but there's nothing actually in place. Yep. You know. Yep. And there's the the thing about it is is that because it's been so. I say soft, you know, there's soft skills. It's, it's not something that is um, historically has not been. And I'm so excited to hear this article that has the metrics behind it now. But historically, it's not been something that how do you determine or measure someone's well-being if they're not coming in every day and they're saying, listen, man, I'm sick of this. You know, if you're not, you know, you know <laughs> right. being that communicative, how do you determine that and how mm -hmm. do you measure that? So without measurements, people don't have a, a, a sense of is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Is this going to be beneficial? Yeah. Is it beneficial? Yeah. If focus on it. And so I think that organizations, things that they can't measure and they can't see what the success marker is and they can't see, you know, I'm going to make, if we invest this amount, we are going to profit this. And if you can't, if you don't have hard, um, you know, lines and data to prove that, then I think most organizations shy away from it for things that they can measure. So I do yes. know that, you know, if we, you know, increase our sales team, if we do this, then we're going to make this amount of money in sales. We do know that if we invest in X, Y, Z, then we stand to gain this. Um, so I think that they tend to focus on what is measurable, um, not because that they're not, they're apathetic, but because it's easier and it's it's easier to do what they know than to kind of lean into stuff that's kind of still shaping and not necessarily clearly defined. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that that difference between the quantitative data and the qualitative data, yep. right? So it's as we're kind of I feel like we're kind of going through an evolution in the workplace post pandemic where people are sort of saying, "Hey, I am a person and I'd like to be treated like a person that um, that shift is what the leaders of, of smart businesses are going to have to lean into yep. recognizing that qualitative data like what was cited in this report is data it's data that can you can do decision making on it you Absolutely. know yeah I mean the only problem that I have is <laughs> I love the numbers and I completely get it but it's just like how do you make your people happy are people happy 
Like, is your staff happy? Are they happy being there? I understand, like, you know, you want the, the data behind it, but it's, I don't think it's that difficult. At what cost? So if, mm-hmm. if your people are happy, Mm-hmm. Are, are, are they saying, you know, I want to work a flexi week. Like I want to uh, 40 hours. If I decide that I just want to work 40 hours in, in, in two days, then I should be able to do it if I can get my job done. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make sense for the rest of the business world. Like you have, you know, people in different countries or that you're, mm-hmm. you're communicating with. So it doesn't you, you can't necessarily if what makes. You know, Joe Happy mm-hmm. does not make business sense mm-hmm. for the organization. Always makes business sense. <laughs> we have to find the happy medium. Yes, but the question is, are you intentionally focused on making sure your workforce is happy? That's what I'm saying. Because, like, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying, like, someone wants to, oh, I only want to work three days to do it. No, no, no. You're not going to remove the structure. They would never, ever do that. Right. But are you actually focused on making sure everyone is happy? So... That's why I go back to the spirit. How do you you define that, though? Like, what what do you mean? Yeah. Well, are people smiling when they come in? Okay. Right? Um, You know, is there trust? Are they talking to each other? Um, You know, what are we doing? Do we have events that, uh, you know, where people are sharing and saying, like, you know what, I really like, I really love working for this company. I mean, I think there's a many different, there's many different things that you can look at, right? Okay. This is what I'm saying. Like, we're talking about innovative products most of these companies have. Like, this is something that's simple. This is something since we've been kids, like, <laughs> be nice to your neighbor, you know, but let's go play, right? I mean, these are not, you know, this is not rocket science here, right? I just think that, I believe that there's just not as much of a focus, and I think it's, it's, you know, I want to say, I'm, and I'm being you know pessimistic here. I think it's kind of a cop out to say that. Look, whoa, I want to see the numbers behind that. Well, what do you mean? Are they smiling or not? Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. you're you're okay. talking about the the essence and the attitude, right? Like, so when I walk into wherever, what's the vibe I get, right? And you can have a product, you can have productivity, and not necessarily have a happy vibe, right? There are other vibes right but it it really depends (laughs) on the people so if you have somebody who loves challenges right they might not be happy in the moment of like i'm figuring this thing out and i'm frustrated and whatever Mm -hmm. but do they have satisfaction once they reach their goal yeah right and so maybe another word is satisfaction right are people satisfied with their work are they inspired by their work there's a lot of a lot of i like inspired i like inspired yeah happy is a great word yeah there might be other words sure, because sure. it might happiness is one of those emotions that kind of is fleeting. Right. Right. But what I, <laughs> right? sadly, yes. yes right. I love where you're I love where you're going because so we can we can look at this too in another way. And and that's looking at the things that dissatisfy people, make people unhappy. Right. Some in it a lot of it's individualistic. Right. Some people need that rigidity of this is my schedule. Tell me exactly what I need to do. Just lay it out for me and let me figure it out. Right. Or lay it out for me and don't let me figure it out. Just lay it out for me and I'm going to go do my job. Um, And other people are like, do that to me and I will quit tomorrow. Right. So it's a very individualized kind of thing. And I, I think, you know, just getting on to the next question. I don't know if we want to move on yet, but yeah. it's really, it really makes a difference when you think about your culture and then how you hire people, 
right? Am, am I bringing in a, there was a superstar, right? There was this, um, there was an, I don't know if I saw it on LinkedIn or where I saw it, it was a few years ago, but somebody was talking about, I wanna hire rock stars. And they're like, great. Rock stars get paid millions of dollars. They're, they have all these requirements. They're, you know, um, they're divas. You, you pay for everything. They'll, they'll rock out for a show, but after three hours, they're done. Right? Do you want a rock star? And the person was like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> right? Like, you need I'm a mix. Not, I'm you not need really, some rock yeah. stars yeah. and some roadies. Right, right. right. <laughs> so let's segue into this. Okay, so just because I didn't say this in the beginning, um, so today's topic is breaking through the status quo in hiring practice. So we've already kind of... Uh, We we dove right in. We dove right in. We're in 12 feet deep, right? (laughs) So um, so let's get to the burning question. Yes. Um, And then maybe as you're answering, you could give us like a little bit of a mini background. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. for sure. So um, our our burning question today is, can we break through the status quo in hiring practices to build more diverse and innovative teams? Or will traditional metrics continue to hold us back? That is a burning question. Um, so, um, so giving a little bit of my background, I have been um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, leader for 19 years. Um, I am a practitioner, a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, um, uh, certified uh, from Cornell University, and I have had a passion for this forever and ever. Uh, Currently, in my role, um, I work for a pharmacy benefits management organization, and I lead our diversity, equity, and inclusion, and people and culture efforts at the organization. And so this question is particularly um, interesting to me because I... um, our hiring practice are kind that's kind of under me, particularly as it relates to diversity in our our hiring practices. So to answer the question, um, can the metrics hold us back? Traditional metrics hold us back. I feel like it's a loaded, <laughs> it's a loaded question because if I say yes, then there's a problem. If I say no, then there's a problem. However, <laughs> I will say that I think that they're um, in general. If without enough um, intention. Um, it will. Uh, traditional metrics will hold us back. And by traditional metrics, I mean the traditional way by which we have, or organizations have historically um, recruited uh, and tried to recruit for diverse talent. Um, you know, I work, my, my organization is um, headquartered in, you, you know, Wisconsin. And a lot of Wisconsin, um, it's it's a homogenized community. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, um, you know, diversity, especially when we were going in the office, if you're looking to kind of diversify the, the, the swath of candidates that you have, you can only get the people that are within your community. And so if your community is largely homogenized, what do you do? I mean, it's, and so, so you know, and a lot of people are are kind of are, are stumped by that, and I think that the reason why um, that is, um, and, and it's a double-edged sword. Um, when you think of diversity, the first thing that most people think of is ethnic diversity. It's the yeah. first thing, and in a situation like like our organization initially. 
um, when we were still going in the in, into the office and we were largely recruiting from from Wisconsin. Um, to try to combat the diversity and to try to, to, to incorporate some diversity, we had to first say, you have to understand that diversity is not just ethnic diversity, it's gender, it's disability, you know, people with disabilities, it's veterans, it's, you know, people who identify as LGBTQIA. There are different categories and different levels and different areas of diversity, right? Um, so that was the first thing. Um, to widen our definition of what diversity is um, first, I think is important for people to understand. But I do also think that it's also it's understandable, um, and we have to incorporate the need to have diverse perspectives. Um, if we just have just the men's perspective in the room, then you're only going to have a certain type of output. If you only have just black people that work at the company, then you're only going to have a certain output. Same for any other ethnic you know, group. So it's important for those who are in recruiting and you're looking for to, to, to create diverse teams to think about the different ways that you can incorporate diversity um, ethnically and otherwise. Metrics, however, have become a barrier in um, diversity. But we are having to start to scale down what we actually consider diversity. And we're having to um, put kind of almost like barriers around what what people do as it relates to recruiting from uh, diverse communities. And you have to figure out a way um, because of the metrics and because of the use of metrics. And if you think of go back to when and organizations, my organization actually is a voluntary uh, affirmative action organization. But you think about affirmative action and all of the metrics that were based that that affirmative action was based around. Mm -hmm. um, these are the, ex the, the exact things that if certain ruling, if the ruling goes a certain way um, in the Supreme Court, that that goes away. Mm -hmm. And so the metrics then become um, who can do the job. You can't look for someone for diverse perspectives. You can only send it to, you can't give, you know, qualifying, you know, detailed. I'd like to have someone that has this kind of experience. You can't put that mm -hmm. um, in, in uh, job descriptions now. So I do feel like metrics are becoming a barrier. Mm. I think initially it's important because it does help to shape. I really would like a men's perspective. I really would like a, a, a woman's perspective. I would like to have, you know, at, at least some visibility for the experiences of people that have disabilities. So I want to make sure that we incorporate that in our our organization without metrics to show that we have one person in my organization we have one person that identifies as having a physical disability mm. we have a problem there mm -hmm. without those metrics you don't even take the time to even say I want to have an equitable experience for people mm -hmm. because there's if there's a person that shows that they have a physical disability that you can see there's five or six others that have invi invi invisible yeah. disabilities that that won't either apply or they don't feel comfortable <laughs> staying yeah. because we don't prioritize hiring people like them mm -hmm. um, so I think that metrics are a double-edged, you know, it, it's, it's a benefit and it's a barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and to answer to your question, will it hold us back? Yes, if we're not <laughs> intentional about how to maneuver around them. Yeah. Yeah, okay, wow. With all of that, okay. Yes. All right, episode <laughs> over. <laughs> Just kidding. Mike. She's like, they're going to look cool. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it is a double-edged sword. Um, I wonder, um, so, the, I guess the question is this: 
what's the fear in that, right? For instance, okay, you just you mentioned the the, the Supreme Court. So it is it that is the fear that now organizations, since they don't have to, that it really just becomes <laughs> like yeah. It, well, it sounds like they can't. They won't be able to. They will not be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, if you are looking to, let's just say, um, if a company says, so next year we want to have more representation from women in our senior leadership in the C-suite. That's our goal. You can no longer have goals like that. Mm-hmm. That will become illegal. It will become um, a form of discrimination against men and any other you know, gender Wait, so you can no longer uh, communicate that or you can no longer think about like you can't no, no, you can't have like, say, for instance, if you have a goal and mm-hmm. you have defined goals, you know, you've got your company objectives, you know, every year you want to come up with this. is This is our goal. Mm-hmm. And you have your, you know, your plan and every department or team aligns to that particular goal. Mm-hmm. One of the overarching goals would be that we want to increase the, you know, women in in leadership in the C-suite. So then, of course, that means in your succession planning. And so all of those goals that kind of align up to to that goal, Mm -hmm. you can't have that overarching goal anymore. Mm -hmm. If the the Supreme Court ruling goes, you know, against DEI programs, then you can no longer have those those kinds of, um, you know, strategies and and objectives uh, written, uh, implied or otherwise. You can have, you know, conversations, you know, conversation is a listen, we're going to have to get more, you know, we can have that and know that co-perception, mm-hmm. but we can't have it as a, written. You know, as a, as a written, as an objective, as an organization. And, and I think that the, the key here is that the way that it works, the reason that you have organizational goals and objectives is because you're trying to corral a lot of different people who are working on it. So even if you have that sidebar conversation, that's probably not going to result in the change right. that mm-hmm. would have normally been actually named. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it cascades, you know, you, you, you then, so now that means that, you know, you're looking to hire someone from your department. And so you're going to make sure that we've got four men that are applying for this role. Let me make sure that we have any gender, we de-identify any, any words that make it gender specific so that we have more women that are applying for the role so that we can have four men that are applying and then four women that are applying as well. Um, and then we're just going to make sure that we put in some people who are non-binary and throw in someone that may maybe identifies as transgender. We want to make sure that we have enough diversity for the role and you deliberately go to cast a wider net so that you get that kind of diversity. If you don't have that objective, then Joe doesn't know what I'm doing. We just had like kind of a you know, maybe you and I have had the conversation, Michelle and I have had the conversation, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know it and it doesn't get to where it cascades to every level so that all the, every area can align to that goal. Hmm. Yeah, because so, yeah, if Joe has one role to fill, he wants the best darn person, doesn't, I, I don't care if you're from another, an alien from another planet, if you're the, if you're the best, I got one spot. But the definition of best is, I think, what we're talking about. That, well, and that's, yes, that's, that's, word. that's yeah. again, yeah, and it's, when HR can pull in, they can cast a wider net. That's right. right. And you can find people. It's it, I'm, I'm holding back because I, I just want to just I got a lot to say on the subject about like how we look at people. Right. Like we're we look we have gender, we have ethnicity, we have uh, sexual orientation. Right. We, and even in, inside of ethnicity, we have skin pigmentations and all this other stuff. The bottom line becomes, are you creating an environment where people feel welcomed? Yep. Are you is do people walk in feel and feel welcome no matter what they look like, no matter what their 
um, uh, the, the, the boxes that they check, do they feel welcome? If they don't feel welcomed, nothing matters. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, so this is, this is complicated. <clears throat> this is complicated because there's, so there's the, you know, there's the, you know, the perspective of uh, on one side, like when you are looking to be a part of an organization, do you see someone who looks like you? Right. There is, um, and I think probably a part of the, you know, pushback of all of this in the beginning is, you know, what, what, what happened? Diversity sounds amazing, right? But was there uh, too much emphasis on like the, the specific diversity that you were now not picking the, the people. And so, you know, and so people started getting upset and you started missing the whole point of like the benefit of having different, you know what I'm saying? Oh, this goes, this is, this is, this is, this is complicated. It is, but you, that you're exactly correct because people, um, that are, you, to have a successful diversity program, you have to have a, a diversity program that doesn't create marginalized communities from currently communities that are not marginalized. So if you have a diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion program, and I, and I say belonging, um, that includes every person, every experience, including, you know, so right now, the, the biggest um, potential uh, growing uh, reverse minority um, are white men. And there is a fear um, that a lot of the programs and a lot of the organizations um, that are, are really leaning towards incorporating <laughs> ethnic diversity, incorporating LGBTQIA diversity, incorporating um, uh, the, the experiences and more diversity for women, particularly women in leadership. But then what does that mean for the white male that is not in leadership yet? Maybe he's an emerging leader. Maybe he's trying to learn and he doesn't come with the power that is already assumed that, that the white male has. And he, he wants to grow too. What happens to him? Does he not have the it's opportunity? Like, sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I mean, we, we have to hire, you know. I mean, it's, it's and so the, the, that's kind of the, the problem and um, I, being a practitioner, of course, I am for, you know, total equity for everyone and to be concerned for the experiences for every, for every person and every group. But being a black woman, I also understand that it is not equitable already. Mm. Um, so how do you not come across as overcompensating but overcompensation is necessary, right? Because it's it is the way that it, it. None of this would be having having happened this way if it wasn't That's right. <laughs> the way it was, right? right. So, how how do we avoid some of the um, the things that could have gone better from the past, right? So, uh, the big knock on affirmative action is people that were not qualified to get promoted got promoted because they checked a box. That was the knock on it. Now, the good side of affirmative action is there's a lot of people that got opportunities that were very qualified for the job that would not have otherwise, they would have not have otherwise been considered because we did have racist practices in this country. Like, I still do. Still do. We, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Yes. Right? Um, sensitive topic. Um, how do we... How do we have a program that prioritizes 
like young black women, right? It just, you know, Shelly's yourself, right? How do, what kind of program can, can we create to prioritize that, that not only are you in the conversation, but you're, you're like overqualified, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're gonna come in and, and knock it out. Um, I think that, well, the SMART organizations are really trying to align their um, recruiting programs and their recruiting efforts to um, incorporate everyone and to um, have diverse partnerships with organizations, with HBCUs and with, you know, Thurgood Marshall, you know, the UNCF, all these organizations and things like that to be able to attract you know, top talent, um, but then also have partnerships with other organizations as well. Um, ASE is another organization with Hispanic Alliance for uh, Career Engagement. Um, and you have all of these diverse partnerships so that you can get, you know, a good swath of candidates that all meet the bar, right? They meet the threshold. Like we want to make sure that they are above and beyond and they are extraordinary at what they do, but that we have a good mix of, you know, of these mm-hmm. people. So when you when you kind of make sure that you have the right mix and you you have those diverse you know recruiting nets cast um, and you you bring back enough diversity, that's the perfect the 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 best case scenario. The problem is that um, two things: most people tend to hire who they are. Yes. And they and they hire you know kind of you know either. I know for a fact that that from you know my alma mater that this person is you know or I know that this person in in my network you know and so you tend to hire who you're like or who's your network. Um, it is important for organizations to um, be a part of that and help you know include them in the mix, but you know choose the right person for the role. And I'm one that says, if the right person for, for the role is not, necessary, not necessarily a black woman, maybe it's an Asian man, um, that we have the opportunity to have a lot of great options. Um, and I just think that the key is to make sure that we, we cast a wide enough net to be able to have enough variety in, in the options that we have problem with that is that we are not ev- soon, if, if, the, if the, the Supreme Court ruling goes the way that it is, that potentially threatens the relationships of having partnerships with diverse recruiting partnerships with certain organizations. Yeah. So, well, it, would, it, it means that you can still have partnerships, but you can't define it as such, that's right? <clears throat> and so it's going to boil down to... So one is going to be wordplay. So diversity is going to change to culture, expe- culture that's or experiences, experiences, whichever experiences is culture. culture she, right? she already figured it right, out. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's like experiences is like we, you know, we want to have, uh, um, you know, folks from all types of different experiences. So, yeah, take that. But anyway. Well, um, yeah, mindsets, right? So uh, one of the things I don't think we look at in diversity is mindsets, right? If you're going to... If you're looking to overcome something, right? Your company's going through a hard time and you want people that can overcome stuff, go find people from uh, um, economic backgrounds that yeah. were poor and that are that went to college that kind of did the work themselves. They're going to overcome. They're just going to overcome because they've already been doing that their whole life. It doesn't matter what what skill set you need, it does, the, like technical skills or anything like that. You hire enough of those kinds of people for that situation. They're going to overcome whatever because that's what they that's who they are. 
right? So I think that's one of the things that's really overlooked in hiring is what kind of personality do you need, right? And everything else included as well. Um, but what I just... It, well, so you had two things, right? Yeah. yeah, but I forgot the other one. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I did. You know what? But it did remind me when you started to say that. So I, I, I'm curious... You know, what are, do you believe the most underutilized metrics since we were talking about metrics? Mm, the that's most a great question. I think wellness is one. Mm. Um, I do think that if you, um, if you are in, you know, a certain acumen or a certain industry or a certain discipline, um, having people from that discipline. So for example, if you are, you know, the chief of police and you're looking to recruit new officers. I think it would behoove, and this is a whole nother podcast, but I think it would, <laughs> it would behoove whoever is doing the hiring to go into the community that has, has had these experiences, that have had, you know, these, these, these organic um, inputs. And, you know, I think that that's important, you know, to make sure that you, you know, think outside the box. I think is is important, and the kind of metrics um, that come with that um, would be um, qualitative um, metrics, where you maybe ask um, you know questions that get to the crux of a person's um, experiences, personal experiences. Um, so qualitative metrics, I think, are are important. I also think that another metric that could be um, that could be utilized or that could be used um, is also a qualitative metric, and it's um, for people to talk about, you know, if you could do one thing, if you could could change one thing, and Julius, I think you 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 gave me that question. If you could change one thing right now, and nothing cost was not a factor, if you can ask some of those aspirational kind of questions and determine uh, how the person answers the question as um, an indicator of is this person pliable? Will this person be able to pivot well? Is this person going to be great at change management? Are they going to be rigid? Is this person does it does it seem like they're resilient? Are they innovative thinkers? Or do they do they express themselves well? Do they have great communication skills? So it's like little things like that. Um, but I definitely feel like um, and it would it would be really a, an assist to yes let's look at all of the you know the data sets and the really the the hard number data that we can get but i think that it really helps when it comes to personality organizational personality when it comes to um, just the, the feeling and the morale of an organization if you ask those qualitative questions and create metrics around those um, those kinds of questions and those results i think that that can help immensely because now you're getting to the heart of a person and not just the mind in, inside of an interview. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> is, is that why we've moved to these, these, um, and I, I wish I could remember what the, the interview style is called, but where you start asking people like different questions, yeah. like what's your favorite color? And, and so you walk in an interview, like, like wait, what? Wait, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm not I prepared didn't prep for, this. for that. Yeah. <laughs> blue. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those questions um, <laughs> are based on um, like pred predictive index, you know, types of questions or um, Herman brain dominance kinds of questions. And they are, you know, kind of roundabout way of getting to, um, are you uh, easily angered? Um, do you think well or operate well under pressure? Um, do you work well better as an individual or better as a team? 
do you plan or how can you um, kind of pivot when something happens? There's a question that, that we ask as a part of our uh, resilience assessment survey. And it's a business. I mean, it's, it's within our business. And we'll ask the question, do you plan extemporaneously or spontaneously when you're on vacation? Hmm. And people are like, look at exactly so this that's face. A, that's this face an here. oxymoron. You just said <laughs> plan and spontaneous in the same <laughs> sentence. You can't, you can't do that. So, but they <laughs> ask the question, and it, it, most people have the same response. <laughs> um, but the reason for that is so that they can see how flexible people can be. Um, if you do plan spontaneously, or do you have to have? <clears throat> This happens at seven o'clock, and by eight o'clock, we're at the so and so, so and so. And if we miss that, then we have to make sure that you know. That we're, are you so um, just beholden to your organizational structure that if something happens and it blows everything up, you can't adjust. You're lost. You can't adjust, and yeah. you're lost. Yeah. So you know. So they ask, and, and I have to look at that question again because you really can't say plan and spontaneous. It's really it's it's, it's tough, follow, right? Yeah. Follow. So yeah, that I've I've reviewed a lot of these questions and. What annoys me about these questions is what annoys me about interviewing. Why can't I just, why can't we just have a conversation? Yeah. Why can't we just have a conversation and I can talk to you about your life? And I remember one of the, the first people I hired, he walked in the interview and he was so nervous. And it was an, luckily it was an internship. So like, do you, we weren't paying him much, so he was, I, I was, he was getting hired anyway. So, so to, Little did he know. Right? And so I looked at, I'm looking at his resume, and I see how nervous he is. And I just said, uh, I'll spare his name. I said, you know what? Don't, don't worry about this. Don't worry about any of the, the office stuff. Like, we're just two people having a conversation. What do you want to drink? You know, let's, let's, let's go get something to drink. And as I walked up next to him, I said, and by the way, you got the job. This is, you're, you're here to interview me. You're, you're here to interview me. I'm not here to interview you. You're, you met all of our qualifications. That's why I'm even talking to you. And immediately, he was no longer nervous. Yep. And diamond in the rough, like top of his class, can't get a job though because he's so nervous in the interviews. It is. I was I, when I was um, in high school and when I was in college. I was terrible at test taking. I could know the content. I could know the material. And when you get in the environment and you're there and faced with it, something just happens. And you know, it could be anxiety. It could be nerves. But you're right. And I'm I'm, I'm just like that. Where I, if I'm mm. interviewing someone, I'll say this is this is this is just a conversation. We're just I have to ask a couple of questions just for your experience. But we're just gonna have a conversation. And so. I, so to that, I think some of these kind of off-the-cuff kind of questions are, are kind of trying to help to break down those silos and, and, you know, and break down the barriers of communication and make people feel more comfortable. Um, for me, I think it's, you know, some of the questions are kind of just, out, just outrageous. Like, I, I remember I was a part of an interview, and we were interviewing a systems analyst. So it's a technical role. And the we were I was a part of interviewing panel, and the lady said, "Well, I've got I've got a question. Um, if you were a cereal, which cereal would you be?" And I was kind of like, "What the? 
what are we looking? What, what is the end result? Why, why are we asking this question? Like, if, the, if he says grape nuts, what? If fruit loops, I don't know. What then? What, what then? Yeah. And so Frosted after flakes. the interview, right, exactly. <laughs> so after the interview, when when I asked her, I said, "So, what was the right answer to that?" And she's like, "Oh, I don't know." There was no right answer. I was just trying to get a flavor for for who this person is, right? You know, it, it's a great icebreaker question, though. If which you were, is what she said, and yeah. so she said that mm. it really, you know, it kind of helps to kind of, you know, it, it it really wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And it wasn't scientific. It really was just, and so maybe that says, hey, I like Fruit Loops too. And so we, you know, we kind of have the, you know, yeah. commonality in, yeah. in in conversation. And so then I got up and I just thought to myself, that probably wasn't the smartest question to ask. Well, but. If the if the the interviewee has no idea that it's just a it's just an icebreaker question, right. you can't get this wrong. If they don't know that, they're gonna they now I'm all up, I'm up in my head like, yep. oh, if I say, what's this role? So I need to be all right. So if they need me like fun and cornflakes, exactly. corn, yeah, corn zero corn. flavor. I'll pay attention yeah. to everything. Total, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, so before we move on to the next uh, uh, section, um, what do you, I, I, we find this a lot, and I think that there's a huge opportunity. You get all this data, you, you know, you, you have these interviews, uh, you, you know, extract all this information, with, you know, the people that you talk to or whatnot. What do you do with all of that after the person's been hired? With once we do like all of the qualitative yeah, stuff, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So for me, but I'm very intentional about it though. I, I make sure that it goes into their uh, employee file. Mm-hmm. We have a system. At any rate, we have a system that we use. Generic system. Generic system. But it has where you can put, um, you know, kind of information from their, um, if they've gotten any accolades, if they've gotten any, you know, information that you put into their one-on-ones, but then also information that you can bring in from their interviews. Stuff that, like, say, for instance, if they say, you know, just in joking, I want to be the CEO. So what does that mean? So as you start to plan your development plans, the, the the person's individual development plans. I know, Julius, when we had the interview, you said that you wanted to be the CEO. So let me tell you, this is kind of some of the steps. So for you to be able to do this, you have to go and you, that means that you have to have an actuary background. So you need to do this and blah, 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 blah. And by bringing some of those insights into with their uh, employee file, which now is all electronic for us, it does help in when we are starting to map out their individual development plans. So I, I personally in HR, I'm very intentional about what we do with that information. But then also conversely, if it's somebody that we did hire, but you know, I do want to, you know, make sure that we we kind of keep an eye on, you know, she did seem a little bit rigid about or she did seem very concerned about um, to where you can then look to avoid some of the, the, the potential pitfalls by having that information accessible. Um, most companies don't. Most by the time most most people, um, once you kind of get through the interviewing phase, you may take a couple of notes and they may keep them or they may not. One of the best tools that I think people can use are personality kind of assessments to determine if the person's personality is will align well or mesh well with the organizational personality. Um, those are very telling. Um, and it's another tool where you can't get the answer wrong. It's kind of this or that. Would you? Are you more this or are you more that? And those types of assessments, I do feel like more organizations use. 
Um, and I've actually seen um, some organizations, um, one of my previous org the organizations that I worked for, a person started in this space and they kept, you know, going back to went back to the assessment. And you know what? I think so and so would be better in this department or in this division. And then the person goes to this division and they thrive mm. um, because just because of where they were hired doesn't necessarily mean that that's where they stay. Um, and if you have an organization where you can go in different places and different you know disciplines and stuff within the organization, that you can use those types of assessments. The more organizations do get that kind of information and do utilize it, the better the individual employee experience will be. Yeah, Shelly, you mentioned that at the top. I'm so glad that you brought that up about finding the right position for the right person. Mm -hmm. So is is that kind of how you how you do that or how you approach that? Are there oh, any other? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'll do um, our, our organization just by practice. We do um, personality assessments mm -hmm. out, out the gate. Um, I also, depending on the role, I'll try to look for um, think outside the box kind of questions or scenarios mm -hmm. that you can create so that you can pay attention to the way that they answer, how they answer, and you can determine, you know what, this person is does have a really good, you know, um, uh, uh, emotional intelligence, or this person seems, you know, really analytical. I need that for, you know, for data analytics, and, and you pay attention to those things. I also have been in the situation where I have interviewed for one role, and the person has totally bombed that interview. I mean, totally bombed that interview. But then they come across as, you know, you know, super warm or very smart yeah. in certain areas. Um, and then you say to yourself, you know what, this person is really terrible at, at, at you know, contract negotiations, but they would be great in employee relations. Mm -hmm. um, and I have, you know, taken applicants and then said, you know, hey, listen, Michelle, I had a great, you know, person interview for this role. We're not going to hire her for this role, but I think she could mm -hmm. definitely might want to consider mm -hmm. her for this. Mm -hmm. um, that has helped a, a lot. We've actually hired a lot of people and kind of cross-referencing, mm. you know, skills in this set, but not so much here. Yeah. Checks mm. all of these boxes, but eh, we really need for them to have, you know, the yeah. skill set. Yeah. Well, More HR departments if they did that and they yeah. I was just going to say, way. like, that would be what you would expect HR to do. I don't know how common that is, but I, I just love it's hearing not, about your not, approach. It's, yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's, there's so many companies that... Um, their their chief complaint of a, of the HR team is they don't have enough qualified candidates, right? And some of it is the data. Some of it's the way people apply, right? If you don't hit the keywords, if you don't know how to play the game, you're if you don't know how to play the game, you end up losing nine times out of well, a, a ninety nine 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 nine, right? Like you win one out of a million because you just got lucky. Um, so there's already certain structures in place that can hurt people's yeah. opportunities. So I love what you're saying here about finding different roles for folks, because sometimes people want to just work for a certain company. Yeah. Right, yeah, Julius, we've, we've talked about targeting certain companies, right? But sometimes it's not the right time or whatever. But when you're somebody looking for a job, and especially if you're at a point where you need a job, Right, you're you may be unemployed or or in a situation where you like you need to move on for whatever reason. There's a million of them, and you know there's a certain company that you love the culture, right? But they have a role. You're like that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Well, you know what? That's the closest. So let me apply to that, mm -hmm. right? And then if the metrics look at somebody and say, I, "This is my favorite," when an HR person says they're overqualified. Right. I'm like, uh, they apply for the job. 
they're not over like overqualified means like somebody told them to apply and they they're going to walk into the interview and and want to like bait and switch the the interviewer right like <laughs> which it's that never works um <laughs> but people try to do it all i could the time. have your job right, yeah. Right, I could, yeah um yeah i interviewed once for a job like that like guy that was interviewing me i'm like oh i could be doing your job oh this is not a good yeah yeah the recruiter did not nail this one i need to not be here um but that's the, I think that that's huge that you find people that are talented and it, it, I, I always feel like if your company is big enough, there's room for talented people. Absolutely. And, and it's never a loss. It, they're always, they're always going to provide more value than their paycheck. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what, what I want to see change and transform in the workplace is when we do find talented people, being able to find a home for them. Yeah. And I think that most organizations will say that they're inundated with, with resumes and inundated with applications. And I'm, we're spread too thinly. And, you know, of course, the great resignation. And, and, and so now we're having to, we're working in a deficit and trying to fill all of these positions. We have all of these open recs and we just don't have the time to give it personalized, you know, um, focus, right? For me, they're probably, if you have 10 interviews, if you have one person that's extraordinary out of 10, it doesn't hurt to help the experience of that one person. You're not gonna have 10, well, I mean, unless you're like really amazing, you had a great swath of candidates, but you're not gonna have 10 out of 10 people that are extraordinary that you just want to say, you know what, I think he was an amazing interview. Let me try to see what else do we have. He wasn't perfect for this role. But let me see what else we have. I also agree with you 100% that keywords kill us as an organization. Yeah. It kills any recruiting effort because anybody can go in and LinkedIn and, you know, go on to Indeed or whatever and, you know, just Google what the you know quintessential duties are and just put those keywords into their resumes. And so now you've got this person on and they, they, <laughs> they, 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 they look good. Oh, man. And they, and, they, and they actually nail the interview. Right. Because they know how to answer all the questions. Right. So then they get into the job and it's like, well, what the, who's there, were, this? there were people who's that got guy? jobs programming AI that because nobody really knew what AI was. If you knew what the keywords were, you were getting employed by big companies. Now, they didn't last long, but <laughs> they didn't need to because they were getting pilfered by the next big company. Yep, they were because they're doing the keyword thing. That that yep. is that is the biggest trap. And now with this whole AI thing, where you know you can now go in and have you know AI create your resume and, Ooh, that's and a good idea. all of that stuff. It's like. <laughs> Um, it's scary. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, as far as retreat, so Chat that GPT still doesn't format. Makes a yeah, for sure. Making it personal. Yeah. So I, I, I was asking about those, uh, you know, the underutilized metrics and, and some of that and, and what you do after, because I think that there's also an opportunity. What we like to do, well, working better together, what we like to do is look at some of those assessments and also um, roll those into curated experiences, oh. right? Because sometimes you find like these different commonalities with people and it's when you're able to utilize some of that data in those types of experiences and people discover those things about those commonalities within themselves, it creates these unbreakable bonds, Absolutely. which will also help with 
you know, trust and diversity and it makes things so much easier. So that's something that we equity. Yeah. Right. Definitely. So let's roll into this um, situation, which uh, is exactly what we said. The situation. So Joe, go ahead. (laughs) So imagine, right. Imagine for a second. You're hired as the DEI head in a U.S. tech company with a white CEO and a large percentage of leadership and employees who identify as Asian. Based on this, the company is meeting its racial diversity goals. However, you notice very few employees or leaders from racial groups traditionally marginalized in the U.S., black and Hispanic, so you don't see those folks at the table. All right. Uh, do you see this as a problem? If so, why? And how do you navigate this concern to leadership? Um, I do see it as a problem. And I see it as a problem because it limits the um, perspectives that you are able to incorporate in the organization. You are missing an entire group of experiences, um, entire groups of experiences. Um, I can tell you it probably doesn't make a difference that the CEO is white, um, that the leadership, most of the leadership um, identify as Asian. Um, in fact, I think that that's probably um, a, a plus because you already have some, some varying diversity there. Um, the reason why um, I feel like it is um, a concern, um, again, is because you're, you're, you know, you're kind of limiting your exposure. But here's the problem. Um, Racial diversity goals um, as an organization now, especially you, we are not going to be able to set racial diversity goals. So what that means to me then is you have got to create an organization where just having, like we talked about, the diverse swath of candidates and being intentional about having enough um, variety and enough diversity in your candidates um, that that's just intrinsic um, as, as, as you are as an organization it's just a part of who you are important is um, who you have um, in your recruiting space um, who you have leading the DEI efforts and that you have the relationship and the same vision and they all are singing from the same songbook um, so the CEO understands the benefit of having more diverse, um, re- you know, relationships and why it's important to incorporate black and Hispanic and LGBTQIA. And I would expand it even beyond these two um, identifiers. But to make sure that everyone, particularly the CEO, the DEI leader, probably the talent and acquisitions person that falls under that person. And I would even say senior leadership and even if they are you know identifying as Asian they understand the importance of making sure that there is more diversity including even more uh, white people in leadership like just more variety and diversity I think the fact that that there is you know diversity is a plus that there is only a couple of categories of, of diversity is a problem as a leader, I would look to align our goals to be more just intrinsically interested in creating just cultural experiences and incorporating the cultural experiences across the board. And that's probably, as a, as a DEI leader, I would look to align with the CEO and with the rest of our leadership team to try to incorporate that and have it cascade to every level of the organization. You know, I hadn't really thought as much about 
I think that's super smart. Uh, you know, who's leading the effort? If there's diversity within who's leading their effort, then it's going to be a diverse, yep. you know, it's way more likely to be diverse. I didn't think about that before. So that's smart. Michelle, so you have a background in pharmaceutical health. So how was, which I don't know why I said that, but that's just a fact. But I'm like, so, just, just, yeah, so, just in case somebody's tuning in for the first time. Just in case, yeah. Um, so, um, what was it like? Did you feel like, from a diversity standpoint, like what was it in your in your uh, your makeup? What was that like? Well, um, I had a pretty uh, diverse team. In in my team, it was very female dominated. So I was kind of proud to have you know men on my team as well. It was a little bit rare for for my group, um, and you know we had racial diversity as well as uh, neurodivergent diversity. So I think that our team worked extremely well together. But what I also want to mention was, you know, we had some diversity goals as well, but it was really clear with our HR team and our recruit recruiting partners that top talent always wins. And I think there's this assumption that if you have to have a diverse slate to consider, that you know, if you're making a diverse hire, quote unquote, that that's a that's not the best hire. And and it was just yeah, that really irked me. So I loved the, that phrase, top talent always wins. Yeah. Because it's also sort of an element of white privilege to get a job and never be questioned, did you have the, the best talent? And if you're a person of color who, you know, just because that's very easy to see, right? If you're a person of color who's handled, uh, hired for a job, people might think, is this an affirmative action hire? Is this something that was like, oh, yeah, I had to, yeah, exactly. So um, anyhow, I, I think that if you're going to have, which it sounds like we're not gonna be able to anymore, coupling it with that assumption, you know, it, it doesn't have to be either or, nor should it be. No yeah. one wants it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say that even if, I, gotta, I have to qualify this, even if the Supreme Court rules against DEI programs, we can still, I mean, it, the, the, the... State by state, right? It is state by state. Um, and organizations can choose to accept it or, or not. There are nuances that you can kind of... Um, work around. Work around. So you, you can you can always do better than the law, but you have to make sure you're in the spirit of the law, of the law when okay. you're doing better. This is this would be great to have Scott on, mm-hmm. just like. So I think yeah. that without structure, though, if the law is gone, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, when the voting rights law was was rolled back because we've solved that problem. And now you see people, like our, our, our programming as a society comes out when the structural scaffolding goes away. So um, if you're just relying on, it goes back to kind of what we were saying before, if you're just relying on the good intentions of people to be altruistic, that's not sustainable. It's not gonna move forward and you're going to trickle by trickle have just like what you were saying, Julius, we won't have the diversity in the top tier. So all the hiring is going to kind of look like those folks. So that that structural scaffolding is super, super important. And, you know, even if there's ways to get around it, that requires so much intentionality to do that. I just don't see it happening. Unless you we know that numbers rule the world. Right. So if you are a prominent company and you are trying to be the best, which every company is, um, and you're showing that, you know, 
diversity or whichever way you know, culturally, we're killing it, right? It's because of our culture, right? And our culture is made up of this. Then you can play follow leader and companies will follow if you're successful. I believe that. I really do believe that, especially this day and age, because the one thing about the, you know, such a, a push for diversity is it's on everyone's minds, right? And there's been enough data to say like, okay, this is, you know, this is, it's, it's it makes sense, right? We're, we may be able to, I mean, the laws may change, but you're not going to be able to take what, you know, what has been established out of people's minds, right. right? You may get pushback from, you know, folks, but it's that pushback was already there, right? I think you, people are still going to put like, uh, uh, I think that, uh, um, especially you got, you know, Gen Zers or, you know, millennials that are coming out that are, they're going to be like, I don't want to work here. Mm-hmm. Right, because they don't have those same experiences as folks Therapy. who may have were, were had that that uh, mindset that was cemented in them that like, oh, do we really need diversity and so and so? They're like, they live in diverse. They are diverse, right? They, in fact, they're like, what is the problem, right? So, and their thought process in why they're uh, joining organizations is already it is this that that's already ingrained in them like yeah. I, like they may need even if they don't even articulate it they're gonna be like ah i don't work there's nobody here that's right i i think i think that's the reputation for gen z but i and i mean i've got some gen z kids i get that and i i see it <laughs> but like, i am trust also me, there are others <laughs> i i'm i'm you know we're living in illinois and you know this the education system throughout the country is not equitable i don't think gen z just means progressive i think gen z and and like open-minded about all the diversity that we're talking about here. There's an entire generation of kids who are of that age who have completely opposite mindset. So I still contend that there needs to be the structure there. And um, I don't think we can, even though numbers do rule, especially in in business, we also have to recognize that emotions really, really rule. (laughs) No matter what the numbers say, your emotions are gonna dictate how you interpret those numbers. Yeah, I will go with you on that. I, I, I think without structure, we are going to revert back to our lesser selves, lesser evolved, yeah. um, because the natural default, not just as, you know, and, and not as individuals, but the, natu- the natural default as a society That's to, right. to, to revert back to what worked or what we thought worked or right. what was happening. What was familiar. What was familiar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, I, I yes, I, it makes sense, right? But the 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 challenger in me says that as much of that will happen, um, like from a legal. I think that there's going to be uh, this emergence of of innovation the opposite right that's Mm. it's kind of like when you make a law and you just think like oh okay you know only drinking or only whatever from this period like oh all of a sudden because you have this law then you people have go to under- have both. Then pe- you right, can't right. have one or just right. the other. People go underground. So, so here, here's what you're saying is that we're going to have more innovation because the law won't be there, no. and people, people will kind of need to emerge. I'm and saying no. I'm saying whether we like it or not. I think that if law goes one way, then you're going to have all types of different innovative ways as to why you're going to still get the same thing. Because I think on a whole, more people believe in diversity than not. I really do believe that. Now, politically, how it's how it's uh, um, you know how it's portrayed, I, I think you know because you're black, white, or whatever you want to. But I think there's so much diversity that's out there, and I, I really believe it. 
I, I, I I'm going to say something really controversial here. I think the problem that we really need to focus on is the continued marginalization of people. And it's in certain groups is more than others, right? And his, the Hispanic community and black community here in around Chicagoland, right? Um, but when we are operating in a world where for me to win, you have to lose, mm -hmm. that's a bad world to live in. It's the national can, narrative. That right. is the national narrative. And, and, and a lot of it can be a false narrative, but if we hold it dear to our heart that it's the truth, we're not going to make the kind of change that, that we want to see. And that's... That's such a bigger issue. I feel yeah. the power structures that are in place will not allow for too much disruption or too much fairness mm -hmm. so that we all can win. I, I, I just don't... Well, now we're getting into real... Yeah, so that's why I, I said... We live in every podcast. We have like three minutes. Here's the, tr you know, the traditionally conservative person on the panel throwing, throwing the bomb out. <laughs> this does not sound controversial to me at all. <laughs> all right, so, okay, so we're going to bounce to the... Uh, this is like part two coming up. We, we, you know, we're going to have to continue <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. My goodness, right? So um, the last part is workplace stories, right? And so today, we're going to do something a little bit different than we've done, which is uh, sometimes we read stories. But you have a story, a story to uh, to to share. Sometimes it's directly correlated to what we're talking about, and sometimes it's it's just interesting. I will say um, this story will bring some levity. <laughs> That's yes. what we need. Yes, um, I um, I was working at an organization and was a new you know new new in my role and kind of new to leadership and was invited to um, the retirement party of, of another uh, young lady that was, you know, she was in a similar role and she was retiring. And so um, she invited me to her retirement party and it had the president and CEO and, you know, a lot of other, you know, senior leadership that was um, at the, it was a luncheon. And so I got the invitation and I told my boss, who was, we're still very close today, and, and uh, I said, you're not going to believe it, I got invited I'm, 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 I'm going to Beverly's um, retirement party. And he was like, what? Are you serious? Oh, that's awesome. And make sure that you, you know, that you dress the part, you know, this. And he's giving me all of these pointers. And um, he said, you are super smart. So let them know how smart you are. And I was like, okay. He's like, you know, really lean in. Um, Scott was the CEO at the time. And so Scott didn't talk to Scott and really, you know, create some organic opportunities for you to get to know Scott and him and get to know you. I said, okay, I got this. And so I wore my suit, went to the, uh, to the luncheon, and, you know, they're having all of these really high-browed, above-my-head kind of conversations in some instances, and I'm, I can't think about, I can't figure out a way. And you could tell that everybody that was a part of the, the luncheon are looking for their, their opportunity. Oh, oh, I, I got this. I'm going to. And so the, uh, the CEO's wife was there. And she started to talk about how, since she's retired, that she's really gotten into re reality television. And um, <laughs> how, you know, she's, you know, she likes it. She said, I don't like the, you know, the kind of with the, the, the wives of this and wives of that. She was like, I kind of like, you know, um, storage wars and things like that. And so she's like, you know, all of the, the, the little shows about, you know, novelties and antiques and stuff and I said oh okay because I, I watched I'm like a, I watch uh, uh, HGTV you know um, all kinds of you know yes do it yourself those. 
um, makeovers, antique, antique roadshow. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I watch all of that. And so I was like, okay, this is it. I got this. So one of the shows that I was watching um, was called Pawn, Hardcore Pawn. That was the name of the show. Hardcore I think I see where this is going. Pawn. <laughs> and the president and his wife are sitting across from me at the table. And I was like, this is it. I got it. I'm going to, because I know she watches it. It's a great show. So I said, so... Mary, do you guys watch hardcore porn? <laughs> and, and I said, oh, I'm in hardcore, I'm in hardcore porn, I'm in hardcore porn. And she stopped, and she kind of was like, uh, before I said, I'm in hardcore porn, because I didn't notice I had said it wrong. And so she looked at me like, wait, wait. And I said, oh. And so the president was sitting across from me. He just spit his water out, just like <laughs> cracking up laughing and could not, he just could not get the, the, enough of it. And so he leaves. He says, I got to get back to the office. They had a leadership meeting that day. He said, I got to get back to the office. You guys go ahead and, and, and keep having lunch. I said, Scott, please do not say anything. Please do not say anything. Because he had a meeting with my boss. I said, please don't tell him what I did. And he said, oh, no, 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 not a problem. That's good. This stays here. Not not a problem. Sure it does. So I get back. I get back. And so, you know, this is after the, the lunch, and maybe it's about 4 o'clock that I finally get back to the office. And so I'm going to, you know, kind of catch up on work. And I get going to my office, which is right next to my boss's office. And as soon as he hears me come back, he comes in and he says, what did you do? What did you do? What did you? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I tried to say it. And I said, I meant hardcore pawn. I corrected it. I said, and so from there going on, you know, the, that, that president and CEO retired just before I even left the organization. And ever since then, and this was like, uh, I, I was there for 16 years. This is like year three or so that I was into the organization. So for the rest of that time, my tenure there before he retired, it was always, he would see me in the elevator. He's like, hey, Shell, you still watching those shows? And, and, and so it helped for him to know who I was. We had 1,500 employees, and for him to be able to, to yes. know my name and speak to me in the elevator. And, and at that point, but at, after a while, it was like he showed me you know, pictures of his grandchildren because we had, you know, yeah. you know we had this thing um, between us. But boy, when I tell you that I was ready to quit... <laughs> And, and oh, Shelly. Uh, it was the, the, oh, it was the my worst. God. But that was, when you think about workplace stories, I love that you guys do this. Um, and I'm sure that it's not, it's not always, you know, funny or... or this is um, a, it has to be our best one. <laughs> this yeah. is the funniest one yeah, so far. This yeah. is, like, amazing. That is the, uh, the, I you, thought this you, was a career ending. You left an indelible impression, and that's really what you were going for. And that's for. what I was going for. Yes. It could have been career ending, but, uh, hey, listen, he will never forget. <laughs> you will probably never not forget. right now, today, he probably... <laughs> we, <laughs> God. we could do a whole episode <laughs> on, on when you put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the benefits, right? The, the uh, guest would be Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing, oh, Shelly. That was the worst. That was the worst. So. Oh, thank you for that story, so So, okay, let's go around. Last words. Um, Michelle, last words. Um, well, thank you. It's been fun. Great insights. And, um, you know, I learned something about the Supreme Court threat. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, just thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, wonderful conversation. Awesome. Oh, I, I should also add one other thing. It's been in my mind, and I'll just kick myself for the ride home if I don't mention this. Um, 
and I don't want this to turn into another pod, but, <laughs> but the um, kind of white men kind of turning into the minority, I have to say I don't really agree with that one. I'm just putting that on the record. We can move on. Yep. <laughs> okay, yeah, so breaking through the status quo in hiring practice, Joe, last words. You, you know I want to. I, I'm sorry, Shell. <laughs> Hardcore, hardcore. No, <laughs> I just, you know, again, I, echoing what Michelle said. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing. Um, I so want to follow up about about um, metrics and personality assessments, and you know, I, I think that's a, a huge untapped opportunity. But I've also been a part of the the world of people that has gotten hurt by it, right? Like I. I had an, an opportunity to um, to join an organization and do leadership development programming, uh, but they were like other companies where you have to start somewhere. And when I went through the interview process to start at the place I needed to start, it was not my personality, and so I didn't get hired. And so uh-huh. the person that wanted me to join his team to help do leadership development, I wasn't a I wasn't a viable candidate. So I get when people are like all these personality assessments, I don't like them, I don't trust yeah. them, I get it. Um, but we've also seen the value through through things like Cloverleaf where it can just take relationships up, you know, not even this next level, like 10 levels up, so. Yeah. So, last words? Um, I agree with you um, with that. We can have another yeah. conversation. Sidebar. Um, sidebar. Um, I will say... Um, Breaking through the status quo, I, I think that we have to kind of just do, when you think about best practices and just, just practices, period, if we can come from a place of just doing what's right. If we just do the right thing as an organization, mm. predict, predictive indexes, assessments, and all that, yeah, that's something. But if we just do the right thing and look to do the right thing in hiring, I think that that will help. Um, you know, there is one thing I will say, last thing I will say, that there is this, you know, people, the golden rule is always to treat people the way you want to be treated. I think if, if organizations treat people the way they want to be treated and consider that, that a part of that is considering them the way they show up, um, that we will be better as organizations if we do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, my last words are diversity rules. I think that... Um, I think the numbers will show, and I think people like yourself, as long as you keep pushing and, um, you know, you should do more uh, podcasts, definitely, just for more, you know, diversity hires that are out there and diversity leaders that are out there, because some of the things that you pointed out are, you know, uh, innovative. And I think mm-hmm. as long as that's going on within organizations, um, you know, organizations are their people. So as long as there's more people like yourself, then uh, we will thrive regardless of what the Supreme Court says. So thank you all for listening again. Uh, This has been another episode of the Workplace Theater Podcast. And thank you again, Shelly Magadou. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Till soon. If today's discussion resonated with you, don't miss out. Hit the subscribe button now, leave a review, and rate Workplace Theater. Your support helps us improve. Do you have questions or comments? Click the link in our show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning into the Workplace Theater. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast. If you're interested in new ways to inspire your team, need help with a sticky workplace situation, or you'd like a communication and engagement strategy for an upcoming important objective, 
please contact us by emailing workplacetheater at gmail.com. This has been a Working Better Together experience, a division of Exponential Consulting, LLC, 